my whole life, everyone said you're funny, but no one has said you should try stand-up. This is Russell Kane, the comedian who got addicted to stand-up comedy. The laugh went into my bloodstream and I was like, what was, what was that? How do you go from working in a traditional marketing job to then going on to win some of the most prestigious awards in comedy and becoming a stand-up comedian? Russell opens up about the highs and lows of his career, but there was a pivotal moment when one of his comedian peers pulled him to one side and questioned him on his outrageous dress sense and behavior and reminded him to stay real and authentic in a world full of fakes. And he just went, shouldn't have lied about your age and you're dressing weird. When life's going so amazing and you're on a rocket ship to success, how do you manage to stay humble and keep your feet on the ground? It looked show off, it looked inauthentic, it looked like I'd suddenly got a bit of fame, couldn't handle it, and was turning into a cock. Russell walks into the studio looking at a picture of youth, and on this episode, he's gonna share with you why he's on a mission to avoid aging and all his top tips around biohacking. How do you stay balanced in life? Can you still look after your body and your health and still enjoy wild nights in Ibiza? Yes, we could all live like Madonna and eat one lettuce leaf and do Kabbalah yoga 10 times a day. How boring would that be? My name's Scott Thomas, and this is a brand new episode of Learning As I Go. tricky and a more kind of uncomfortable situation than to be on stage like just you mm. with thousands of people mm -hmm. waiting for you to make them laugh yeah like where does that confidence come from and are you that naturally confident it's much easier when it is thousands of people <laughs> waiting for you to make them laugh because if you're able to book I don't know, if, when I play Manchester, for example, I'm quite snobby about rooms. I like I like good room. I'm not against arenas and big up anyone, particularly from a working class background, selling out the O2, telling jokes. I'm not having a go, I'm really not. It just doesn't suit me. So I like a nice theatre. Okay. So if I'm doing, say, which I think is the best in the area, the Lowry, 1600 seats, I do two nights there. It's easy. 1600, if 1,600 people walked in now that were all Scott fans, there's not much you could say on the mic to alienate them. Do you see what I mean? It's harder when it's 200 people and they don't know who you are. That's what it is in the beginning. Yeah. So if I, if I said to you, right, we've got an event this afternoon, uh, it's all people from America, so they're not going to know who you are. I need you to go on and sell this podcast to these 200 sceptical people who don't know who you are. You would be in that toilet over there snorting Imodium. <laughs> like that if I went go through there and it's a bunch of Love Island fans uh, and people that have followed your work for years and you've got a picture of podcast you'd be like oh, I got this one mate fucking mint you'd be straight in there do you see the difference yeah but let's take it back then to the start yeah because you've had to go through that phase yes it was horrible that, and that was horrible it was my first ever gig I nearly walked it was another comedian who stopped me leaving my bottle went about five minutes before I was going to go tell on stage tell me about that experience that first ever gig that's what I want to know about right so with stand-up, if ever you sit down with another comedian, there's broadly, there's two types of us. There's those that have always loved stand-up. They've watched it. They've watched everything from Eddie Murphy to I don't know, even studied the old school people like Tommy Cooper and Laurel and Hardy. And then there's people like me who've fallen into it by complete accident. I never watched stand-up as a kid. It was of no interest to me. In fact, I didn't like it because 
my dad liked it and anything my dad liked wasn't cool. He liked, you know, like Bernard Manning, ra racist old school stuff. Didn't make me laugh. I'm going clubbing to, to jungleism on dance floor. So I didn't like, I was naturally repelled from racism, not in any right on way, but because I was from North London and all, right. my mates were all the colours of the rainbow, right. every, all sexuality. It's just because of where I was clubbing. So it just passed me by completely. I was the first person in my family to go to university. I've got 16 cousins. We're, we're all a mixture of unemployed, tagged up, inside, doing driveways. And then you've got me who liked books. Just, I thought you were going to say doing drive-bys. <laughs> no, probably. And, uh, and you've got me who just, I just liked. I, I had a brain, but I never used it because if you come from a proper council house background, my parents were excellent. I've got no complaints. But... It never occurred to Dave and Julie to go, well, maybe we should expose him to Charles Dickens and Jane Austen because it wasn't on the menu of possibilities. So I, even though I had a brain, I still didn't get to use that. It was never discovered because I was in some dump of a comprehensive school. And I just got spat out at 16 like everyone else with, with nothing. It was only when I started going clubbing and I pulled this posh bird who's about like two inches taller than me, getting scouted by storm everywhere we went. She just picked me because I like dancing. I've got a bit of banter. I start dating this girl. And when I'm going back to hers, she's falling asleep in university halls, right? So I'm sleeping, I'm waking up thinking, oh my God, there's a bunch of people my age who look like me, who aren't putting on a cheap suit to go and sell jewellery to rich people like I was doing at the time. Wow. They're sitting on a lawn, having a cider, partying every night, expanding their brains. Why well, I have to travel on a train like a 40-year-old man, broken with my suit, and something snapped in me. It was one lunch hour, I'll never forget it. I was like, I'm going to do my A-levels, I'm going to get the highest A-level, then I'm going to go to university, I'm going to get the highest first-class honours degree, and then I'm going to change my life. And I did it all. Like someone had injected me with some anger serum. It was, Something just snapped. So you went back and did your A-levels? What age? I was about um, 19, 20, right. which is, see, it doesn't seem like much now, but when you're, yeah, not, six, yeah. when you're not 16 and 19, there's a big difference. Yeah. So I said to my nan, at the time I'd rowed with my dad, so I was living in a housing association flat with my nan. Single bedroom, no wardrobe, I had hooks on the wall for my clothes. It was like I was being haunted by my own clothes. <laughs> Imagine taking a bird back there and you got clothes. Nevertheless, I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, watch out for my blazers, yeah? Oh and uh, I just sent off for an A-level out of a box. I picked the first one that interested me, sociology. What's sociology about? No clue. But it's only about class and why it's unfair if you're born a woman or if you're, if you're born black or if you're born poor. And of course, this all poured into the shit I was already annoyed about. And it was like turning into the Hulk. I finished this A-level in three months, four months. This is a two-year course sat the exam at my little local college and you have to sit on a separate seat as an independent student. So all the people that have been studying together two years and you're on your, your special like chav seat. I got the highest A-level grade in the United Kingdom. I won an award given to me by the ex-speaker of the House of Commons, Betty Boothroyd. And I went straight into uni as a mature student because I was 21, which means you can still hang out as the 18-year-old, no problem. But you've got the benefits of only needing one A-level because you're 21 or older. Went in. I was the only person to get a first-class honour. So my whole prophecy wow. came true. That's, I didn't even have a book. We had no books on the adult bookshelf in our house. I got a first in English and creative writing. Do you feel like you, it was that, that was the moment where you discovered that you were intelligent? Because obviously you're super intelligent. And unused, yeah. And it, sharp. It was almost like, wait a second, I've got this tool here. Yeah. That I need to capitalise on. Correct. It's like everyone, everyone's got 
it could be looks, it could be height, it could be strength, it could be charm. So I've got a natural brain. I, just, I wasn't. I was using it with my mates. Always been the funniest, wittiest guy in the room, cleverest in the natural intelligence. But I'd not, I'd not filled it. It was just full of empty filing cabinets that I'd not used. So I stuffed Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, philosophy, literature, the critical theory, feminism, psychoanalysis. I just, I just absorb, 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 yeah, absorb. But, your banter, your banter, and your comedy. I was watching some of your stuff this morning. It's so intelligent. But mixed with that chat, yeah. see, I've never lost that moron. You know, some comedians I won't mention any names. They swallow a dictionary, and. It's like they've they've gone like you can no longer relate to them unless you're into what they're into. Whereas I still love show off watches, easy jet to Ibiza, all you can eat curry. My friends are still my mates from when I was 16. I should have more celeb and showbiz friends, but I can't help it. I like my cousins. I like my mates. I like trying to beat the all-inclusive wristband. I love Ibiza. I went twice last year. I ended up on the stage next to Joel Corey with my top off. I just had the best summer. And so that mixture is what's produced this. But I needed to, like someone, like when you watch the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, it's all very well having the work ethic. But if you don't go down the gym... For like seven days a week for four hours. Work on your brain. Right. So I did that, the mental version. And uh, of course, I came straight out into a plum job working in advertising, like thinking I'm not a job. A plum job. Amazing. It's Cockney for great. Oh, okay. What you and, uh, plum, we, when we no, call someone a plum, and, yeah, like, oh, no, no, we have that as well. We say like you're a plum mate. Plum as an adjective means good. Plum as a noun means bellend. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, at, yeah, least, yeah. at least I don't say ginnel or balm cake. <laughs> what are you fucking Tudor up here? <laughs> I'm going for a bomb cake down Ginnell. What the fuck are you talking about? Whoa. And uh, so uh, I went, um, I started working in marketing. Of course, everyone's middle class. So their weekends aren't, you know, smoking weed over the park. They're going out, oh, we're all getting comedy at the weekend. Do you want to come? And I'm like, I don't like, you know, white men being racist into a microphone. But of course it wasn't. It was, this is Jack D and all these people I'd never heard of. I'd never watched live at the Apollo. I switched it on. And within a space of a month, I thought, I've done one best man speech in my life that went well. I reckon I could have a go at this. It was that. So you need the preamble to understand how I got to that point. And i got to bear in mind, I've got this amazing job. And if you come from a humble background and you've got an amazing job and all your cousins look up to you and your mum and dad can't believe how you're doing, it takes a lot of guts to start toying with something that pays nothing so it wasn't someone else who said, you're really funny, you should try this. My whole life, no. You, my, my you made that decision yourself? My whole life, everyone said you're funny, but no one had said you should try stand-up, right. apart from a couple of the people at the office when we went to watch stand-up. A creative planner called Stephen Workman said, you should actually go and do it. And I'd been toying with it since we'd been for this company comedy night. So I just did it. I literally Googled comedy clubs near me, Rivington Street, comedy cafe, never heard of it. How does it work? Uh, you come and do five minutes unpaid, now, next spot's in August because all the comedians at Edinburgh. I just went and did it. I just, I'd no, I had no punchlines. I just talked like I'm talking to you now. People laughed in weird places. And did it go down the street? It went okay. It went like seven out of ten. But the, because I was nervous and I garble anyway, so you can imagine how fast I was back then when I'm ultra nervous. But the laugh hit and it was reminded me of the adverts that see that you get warned about when you're a kid for, about doing heroin or crack. The laugh went into my bloodstream and I was like, what was, what was that? I never- I just got goosebumps. And I was a raver, right? So I never done, I've never done any addictive hard drugs ever. I've never even tried them. I don't want to try them. But I'd been a, I've done a lot of raving, do you know what I mean? Mm. I've done a lot of in, in at 6 a.m. I never ever experienced a buzz 
from a shit half laugh from 200 drunk city wankers like that. And it's so close to getting hooked on a drug when you discover stand-up or music because your whole life falls apart. You've got to remember, I've got this amazing job being paid an amazing wage. I started life in a mother and baby shelter waiting to be housed, right, when my dad visited us. And here I am letting my team down, running off to do gigs. I drove one night to the Frog and Bucket in Manchester, got in at three in the morning and went back to work at eight. Hadn't done the work for a pitch for Vodafone we would do. My life fell apart. I lost weight. I went, I lost about a stone. I, my relationship split up. I neglected my friend. I sound exactly like a junkie. Stand up just completely took over my life within the space of six months. But completely. talk to me about that, that, that feeling that you had then, mate. You talked about that rush and it was almost like your new addiction. And not to get all deep on you, Russell, but like, yeah. not to go like, you know, to dude. refer to like therapy and stuff. Like, what do you think that feeling was kind of giving you or was it replacing anything that you not had before? Because you've made your friends laugh all your life. Like, it was just a was high. It was ju it's just a high. Anyone that's done boxing, anyone that's done, even if you've done karaoke, right? And you smashed the karaoke and got down, you'll, you'll be able to relate to what I'm talking about on a small level. And you want to go karaoke again and again and again. And there's just nothing like... There's only two things human beings fear, only two. Threat of physical danger, like I'm talking proper fears, threat of physical danger to you or someone you profoundly love, or complete social exclusion. They're the two worst things that can happen to a human being. That's from what we've evolved. Back in the day, if your tribe excluded you, you'd be dead within two weeks. You've got no one to hunt with, you've got no woman, you're, you're, you're finished, right? So that's why stand-up's so scary, because deep in our DNA oh, right. is I must, the tribe must like me or I'm dead. It's the same as physical death. In fact, comedians even call it death when a gig doesn't work. But wait a second, when what about when people say this, and people say it to me all the time, in order to be happy, you just can't give a fuck what people think. Yeah, you can't. That doesn't really tally up with what you're saying, because it's almost like... Okay, but that, that's, that's in life in general. Right. If you were making a product, if you were going to become a shoe designer, do you think it would be wise to not give a fuck what people thought of your shoes? Mm. And go, well, I like that trainer. It's not selling. I don't care. It's the ST5000. You'll be out of business within two months. Mm. You've got to give a shit about what people think if you're running a business. Do you mm. give a shit about what people think of this podcast or are you not, are you not worried if they'll hate it? <laughs> no, no. Listen, I do, but what I'm saying is that's no, no. some of the coolest people I know, they don't actually care if you like them or not. Like, so, I mean, I, mean, I, I suppose it's to a certain extent. With but everyday life, particularly women, the number one tip I can give women who aren't yet 30, that most women at 30 wish another woman had told them is do not give a shit what other women, particularly other women think you, let alone men, they're not even worth considering. And obviously the same advice goes for men. But if you are starting a business, and make no mistake, comedy is a business, you must profoundly care. So I've done this for three nights now, and when I've done the joke that's got a bit of a dodgy reference to a serial killer in it, the audience has gone awkward. It's never worked. The ladies walked out upset. That's your audience telling you that joke doesn't work. So if you stay in, well, I don't give a shit. You cannot give a shit when 90% of the people are laughing and you, you become, become Bill Burr, Ricky Gervais, you can become Joan, Joan Rivers. That's great. But if none of the audience are laughing and you're stood there with a the microphone going, I don't care, I still love me, you won't last. You yeah, won't, you won't make any money. This is the problem I've got, Russell, right? So my businesses, a lot of them are like extensions of me and they're so intertwined with me. Like, for example, when I used to be a promoter, your Lindsay used to come to, yeah. down to my nights. I needed people to love me, otherwise I wouldn't get paid. And That's it's right. almost a bit like PR now. You need to be likable. Like, for brands, you want to work with your people, through the thoughts, all the members come in because I'm hopefully inspiring them and stuff correct. like that. So how do you draw the line between what you do and who you are? Because 
you're basically saying it's a business, but Russell Kane on stage. If you uh, you just say, Am I working? Am I am I working right now? I'm at the play center with my daughter, and there's some guy going over there. I can't stand him. Why how has he got work? He's not funny. Do I give a shit? No. It literally, the guy could literally come over and scream the C word in my face. It wouldn't register. Because I just don't care. That's the confidence. But as soon as I'm looking at a piece of comedy that I've put out, ah, okay. I profoundly care. So it's just having a healthy relationship with your work boundaries. So in answer to your original question, I got addicted to the high from the laughs. The same way a Formula One driver gets addicted to winning, same way a boxer, which is the closest thing I've ever watched or tried that's to comedy, believe it or not. I've tried singing, dancing, acting, but the closest thing I've found to stand up is, is boxing. It's something primal in comedy that is different to acting. If you're, no one likes your acting, they don't like your film. If no one likes your stand-up, they don't like you. You're knocked down, your testosterone goes down, you can be in bed for a day. Does that happen to you? Of, of course, when you're new. No, no decent comedian has, you learn through error and mistake, same as any business. Talk to me about one of your darkest moments then when it comes to like a show that you've done when you're in the start of your career. It would be, it would have been the short sets. Like I'm talking about these little five and 10 minutes ones getting booed off. Getting, booed off? You've been booed off? Of course. Of course. I, of course. I, how would you how take can you that? learn? How would you take that though? Like, just, just, just turn on it. Have like, you ever done boxing? But I can't imagine you just going down like a, a solo. I can just imagine you going. Have, have you ever done boxing? Uh, I've done a little bit like training. It's exactly like losing a boxing match. Feels the same, you, but except you're looking for the bruises, you can't see them because they're in, they're inside. It's your ego, it's your sense of self. It, it just hurts. It hurts Ooh. like you can't imagine. It's like being beaten up. But that's what I'm saying now. Now, to take those wounds, you must be so strong now and like kind of almost a little bit invincible. Do you but feel it, that links, way? it links to the other point Go on. because a good boxer gets hit a lot when he's 16 or 17, but he learns. Just watch the Lennox Lewis documentary. And the difference between Lennox Lewis at 17 and 27 is unbelievable mm. because you get hit in the face once by Riddick Boat, you don't get hit in the face again with the same left hook. You just, you just don't. So you quickly learn. A good comedian who's blessed like I am, lucky to be a naturally funny person, who's got good stories, again, a bit of luck there, I've got a completely open mind to being negative against myself. Learned a little bit through learning creative writing in that when something doesn't work, I adapt and change that night. I don't continue doing the same tired, booed off stage, not working shit for two years. So my wounds are minimal because that's only happened to me a handful of times when I was very, 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 very new. And then it was like, that's not, that one's not going to hit me again. That one's not going to, and sooner or later, you're just, you're, you're like that. Oh, you know, you, you know, can't so, be hit. It's so interesting because I've got um, young Harvey in the building who's helping with my socials at a minute. And obviously I'm always trying to produce content that's going to inspire people, reach more people. And he'll advise me saying like, once you tried one thing, like if it does well, you narrow down on it and, and do that. But as Correct. soon as it stops working, you need to adapt. You need to, to be Correct. agile. And a lot of the best influencers and social content creators, they're really quick to constantly experiment and try new things. Yep. But sometimes a lot of us can be kind of like really scared to do and play yeah. it safe. That's a, that is a rule for life you just described, for everything, for mm. dating, for marriage, for how you raise your kids. There's an algorithm to everything. Mm. And you've, you need to be open to it. And a lot of the time, ego gets in the way. Ego gets in the way of going, well, I was wrong or that was a bad decision or I shouldn't have dressed like that on a TV show. It sent the wrong messages out. It cost me work. That happened to me. I started dressing a certain way and didn't listen for a 
I didn't listen quick enough. What do you mean? You start dressing a certain type of way. Well, I just I got I won these this massive comp the biggest award you can win in comedy. Unless you're talking about BAFTAs and Was stuff. Is that the Edinburgh yeah. Award? Yeah, used to be called the Perrier, and then it's had about five different names. And you won the uh, the Australian Award That's in, right. in the same year. So the biggest award you can win is the Edinburgh Comedy Award. And I had four nominated four times in the four previous years, and then I won it 2010. I still can't believe it. Sometimes I do bicep curls with it in the morning. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Who were you up against? Like, What was the kind of competition? Sarah Millican. Wow. Greg Davies. Wow. Bo Burnham, who's now one of the biggest stars on the planet. Jeez. And a couple of other people. Wow. Uh, it's about five or six of us. And I won it. I then got on a plane to Australia in March and won the Barry, named after Barry Humphrey. It's, oh, I know the Barry. Yeah, I won that. No one had ever done that before. It had never been done. Same show, same year. What happened that year for you to win it? Like Just what? a good show. Smoke, really? smoke screens and castles. You can watch it. It's online. It's the one about my old man and everything. And my, my dad had pegged it by then. So I did this show where I spoke about him in the present tense. And the audience like, hey, your dad sounds like a right nightmare. And then at the end, I changed to the past tense. The audience start crying. So it had like a, a sad bit in it mixed with the humour. It's just a very powerful Ooh. mix and very obviously very funny, a little bit Peter Kay observational, a little bit Lee oh, Evansy. Give me a little goosebumps yeah. that though. So that one, everything going, and then it went crazy. And when it goes crazy, when you go into that like Romish, Ranganathan, Mickey Flanagan phase, everyone wants you on everything for a bit. And if you let it get to your head, which I did, because at the end of the day, I'm just an idiot from a council estate and no one's ever given a shit about anything I've ever done, including my old man. So all of a sudden, everyone's telling you that you're the bollocks. That's when you need no people around you. People that are going to go, mate, what are you doing in your bellend? But I was so busy that I wasn't able to hang out with my friends. I was working day and night. I was single for a bit. So there's like a backlog of... It's just women, it just goes crazy, right? They go, I, I couldn't even pull, I left school without even kissing a girl. Mm. You know, when I got you... to 18 and I was like, oh, if I could just touch a boob through a cardigan, that would be something. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Punani Tsunami. When you talked about that year when you won the awards and you were on this high, yes. and you got carried away with yourself, how did you kind of snap out of it? Because you said that you needed I people followed, around you. I followed the algorithm. So I went on TV, hair about this high. Oh, I remember uh, this. Eyeliner. Skin tight trousers. I'd seen Noel Fielding and stuff, and I thought, well, why can't I express myself like that? It was that's as far as my thinking went. I've always been a bit sort of a eccentric. I'm, no, I've <laughs> got I've got as many female friends and gay friends as straight friends and lad mates. Yeah. I'm comfortable with everyone, so I'm very comfortable going out at that point with a bit of eyeliner on. And at that, at that point, women were into that as well, so it was all good. I didn't realise how it would be perceived. So I'm going on stage going, oh, I'm, I'm from a council state, I'm dead normal like you, but dressing like a try-hard, attention-seeking, loving the fame too much camera whore. Right. That's how it was perceived. Yeah. Didn't realise that. Did a couple of TV projects like it. It looked show-off. It looked inauthentic. Right. It looked like I'd suddenly got a bit of fame, couldn't handle it, and was turning into a cock. That's what it looked like. Right. And do you think you were? Not on behavioural level yeah. that I knew of. My friends might say different. But that what I was so busy, I wasn't checking in with my friends enough. Not out of a kind of, hey, man, I'm going to hang out with, you know, the Towie lot or try and go to LA and be <laughs> friends with Americans. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing anything. I was just working, sleeping, shagging. That was it. <laughs> and, uh, of course, when it went on TV, I thought, great. It was reasonably well received. But my numbers didn't increase in the theatres. They didn't drop. Nothing disastrous happened. But you get, you do, you make two solo TV projects at the same time. 
with your name in lights, your numbers should go through the roof like they would do for anyone else. Catherine Ryan, Sarah Millican. But my numbers stayed level. Just for clarity, for anyone who doesn't understand the comedy world, I'm guessing like everything that you do on TV... Feeds the theatre. It feeds the, the shows, which is... Is that the biggest part of your kind of business? Yeah, so you do things like I'm doing now yeah. or on tele or on traditional television to put bums on seats in theatres. Right. That's why I do it. Some Americans and some British comics do it the other way around. They do the theatre and the comedy to show how talented they are chasing big TV projects so they can host, you know, family right. fortunes and things like that and they will eventually stop performing stand-up because they, they'll take the scaffolding away and they've got their glitzy TV career. Graham Norton, people like that, superstar, actually started as a stand-up. I'm the other way around. I'm more like a Lee Evans, Mickey Flanagan, Sarah right. Millican. My heart's in the stand-up. I love TV. I clearly love doing shit like this, yeah. but it's all driving people right, to see okay. me live on a business sense. So as when well. you saw that not changing as much? I was like, what's wrong? And it was only when, I won't say who, a stand-up took me aside and told me, basically. He was like, like a newer stand-up, who's a very, very big household name now. A newer one than you? He was newer at the time. Now he's like super famous. And it, it, he just said... I was lying about my age because I got the I was I was already biohacking, so starting to look younger than my age. And I didn't I didn't see what the problem was. What's the problem with knocking five years off your age and expressing yourself? This is left wing comedy where you can be whatever you be. You can have whatever gender you want. I can go on stage in a dress. Why should I be judged? How did wait a second? I was, how, how did you lie about your age? Because surely people must have known what age you no, were. No, this is when before. I was new. So journalists, I'm, I'm, I remember 2010, no, 20, 2009, no no one knew who I was. Right. By 2011, I'm starting to do my first TV project. So. You're so being, how old did you say you were? I just knocked five years off. And at the time, well, 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 the reason why I'm asking you is because I'm at the age of 35 now. Yeah. And so I was I'm, pretending to be 30 when I was 35. Yeah. So wait a second. So basically <laughs> this, this up and coming comedian. He just took me aside and he went, I didn't, I knew there was a problem because my numbers weren't growing, but I couldn't, it didn't occur to me. It was how I was dressing. I mean, it's because I live in such an ultra left wing world where someone could walk in a dressing room and they just changed genders that week. No one would even look up from their notepads because we're, we're comedians are so accepting. We're just mm. race, gender. It means nothing to 90% of the UK comedians. In fact, the more fluid and different someone is, the more comfortable we are in the dressing mm. room. We're like a right bunch of oddballs. But my audience had bought into, I'm the kid from the council estate. Look how normal I am. And next week I'm like fucking pound shop, Noel Fielding or Russell Brand. They were like, mate, you're fake. But how did this guy tell you this? Because sometimes in life, I've had it before, when someone's come up to me, and you've not seen it coming, and they've said something to you, and the bang on the money, the right, it hits you, it hurts, yeah. Yeah. but you go, thank you for saying that. Is that was that kind of that kind, exactly kind of that. moment? Exactly. It didn't take me, I just said, "Why? Well, what do you think's got went wrong? Because I've just won the two biggest awards you can win on the planet, yeah. made two amazing TV shows, and he just went, shouldn't have lied about your age and you're dressing weird. And it was, it was the same time that I met Lindsay, my wife. The soon, within two months of me dating her, she went, you're a great looking lad and I'm really into you, but why are you dressing like that? Oh, she really? went, just look at all the people around you that are super successful, Michael McIntyre, Mickey Flanagan, they just dress like dead plain. This is as far as I go now, like deep V with a chain. Right. When I'm on stage, if you see me on a panel show, I'll have white t-shirt, black suit, sometimes a shirt if it's something really smart, roll variety. You won't remember what I was wearing. Mm. The penny dropped. So you need a good partner behind you. Women, you need a strong man backing you. Lads, you need a strong girl. 
gay people, you need a strong partner, whoever. You can't do it on your own. You shouldn't try and do it do on your own. you know what? Own. I used to think in order to achieve a goal, like having a partner would hold me back. No. And what I realized is a lot of like the people I look up to and the most successful people I know, they always seem to have that strong backbone. It's a partnership. And, yeah, a partnership. Someone who helps them get to where yeah. they need to get to and stabilizes them as well. If you've only just started listening to this podcast and you don't know much about my story, I have been on a journey of self-development over the last four years. I've gone from being a glorified party boy out three nights a week to now being an influencer for self-development and I've even got my very own podcast. But it's not been a straightforward journey and I've had to pull on so many different life lessons and utilize so many different tools to get me to this point. And over the last three and a half years, I've been passing on and sharing all the knowledge that I've learned along the way with thousands of members through my business, Food for Thoughts. I don't even like to call it a business because Food for Thoughts is so much more than that to me. It's an extension of my life. And I've now made it my mission to help as many people as possible achieve the same lifestyle change that I've managed to achieve over the last few years. So if you're stuck in a rut and you want to achieve your potential and you want to feel happy and content and finally have some balance in your life, then Food for Thoughts is a one-stop shop for everything that you need. We don't just focus on one area. If you want to lose weight or you want to gain weight, great, we've got you covered. If you want to improve your fitness, if you want to become stronger mentally, take on new challenges or even go for that new job that you want to go for, Food for Thoughts covers everything. But guess what? If you want to be connected to like-minded people, because that is so important when you're trying to achieve a goal, we've got the best community you will ever experience waiting to help you on your journey. So if you want to find out more, check out Food for Thoughts and head over to www.f4t.com and someone will be there waiting to get you started. Let's talk about age a little bit then, because obviously age has played a big factor in your life. Yeah. And I think like, even just now that like, the way you talk about, obviously you look a million dollars and you are of the age of 48 now, which I can't- 49 in August. 49 in August, I'm an yeah. August baby as well. But like, you look phenomenal. I'm not just saying that to gas you up. You look amazing, right. your skin's amazing. You look fit, like vibrant, do you know what I mean? Like, Sick. So you have lived a, a bit of a crazy lifestyle as well. You've been a comedian, you've done all the partying and yeah. everything else. I still so partying. So how have you like managed to stay looking so good? Part of the answer is in the way you phrased it, in that, yes, we could all live like Madonna and eat one lettuce leaf and do Kabbalah yoga 10 times a day. How boring would that be? So it's about balance. It is about letting yourself, if you don't have any alcohol issues, go out and party and get pissed now and again. So I do party. I do drink neat vodka in a pint glass with icing when I go to Ibiza. And you look this good. But about 10, longer than that now, about 15 years ago, I was on stage uh, and starting to get, so 15 years ago, I'm 33, 34, right? I'm starting to get out of breath. I've got this Lee Evans type act mixed with my brain going 100 miles an hour. So it's double Lee Evans, if you know what I mean. And I'm starting to get, well, I've got a bit of a belly. I'm get, and I think, right, on a sheer making paper level, I need to keep my fitness. And then I start to realize that my business, people like their male comedians about, 35 to 40 years old. You can talk to a mass audience and they respect your opinion, but you're not too old and crusty for the Gen Zers to go, shut up, granddad. So I was like, how can I stay at the age I am now? 33, 34. That's when I started reading. That's when I started researching about nutrition, exercise, and sleep as well. And of course, the final part of what I call the quadrinity, the four holy factors, diet, exercise, sleep, sleep and stress I put together evidence-based supplementation. So I started 
taking things into my diet in the form of supplements, not your crackpot vitamins that have got no evidence, but things that have actually passed trials in a lab. Resveratrol, that's found in the skin of grapes and also in red wine in small doses. NMN, November, Mike, November, NMN, which is a molecule that slows down cellular aging and puts power into your cells. Fisetin, oh, I've just taken all these different things. I've just built them over time. And at the time, my friends, we're all the same age, we're all born 1975. All my mates were like, what are you doing, you bellend? We're 35 going on 40. You can't slow down aging, just you've got to embrace it. I love my mates, right? But now when I go out, it's like I'm out, they look, it looks like I'm out of my uncles. Right? Have you seen a 48-year-old man? It's hard though, because I would say that you look about 33. That, but that's also that my blood's backed that up as well. So I check my bloods. So I've got no Botox apart from in a scar here to soften it. I need my expression for my job. I've literally got a phobia of losing any of the funny faces I can pull. No filler. I do radio frequency, which is a great natural thing you can do. I do profilo, which is another great natural facial thing you can do. But other than that, it's just moisturizer you buy off the internet. So am I right in thinking it's called biohacking? Yeah, but biohacking is the like the sciencey word, which I don't like using because it stops people listening who would benefit from it, which is a way of like a hack, like a computer hack, a way of manipulating your biology so that you age slowly. And the two biggest factors are free to everyone. Don't eat shit, move a bit. That's that, that's my catchphrase. Don't eat shit, move a bit. That means don't cut carbs. You don't need to go vegan. You don't need to go eat so high fat. You're fucking too scared to fart at a social function. You need to eat a medium amount of stuff most of the time. Just don't eat processed. Don't eat takeaways. Don't eat processed. But at the same time, do. Do get drunk now and again and have a takeaway. But if you know what I mean, broadly speaking, don't eat shit. So talk to me about a day in the life of Russell Kane in terms of exercising food. What's it look like? So a normal day, I'll do about... 35 to 45 minutes of weights and a 10, 10 minute hit workout. If I'm in a hotel room and I've got no access to any equipment, I don't even go down to the gym because I can't be asked for people pointing at me and trying to film me while I'm on the treadmill and all that, uh, or trying to have a conversation with me. And also I like to make quiet like sex noises for like, when I'm exercising, it's embarrassing. You can't go to your maximum weight when you've got fucking Terry looking on. So. I will hang off doorways in a bathroom using a towel. I'll do push-ups. I'll get my hand luggage, load it with water bottles, single arm bicep wow, curls. Tricep extension is you can do diet. There's not a single muscle group you cannot do in your hotel room with a hand luggage bag and something to weight that hand luggage bag. You can do everything. If, as long as it's a strong enough doorway, you can do pull-ups off it. Recently, I've got an injury, so I've just been training pretty much just from, from a mental um, like yeah. capacity, really. It's like my, my, my medicine for my mental health. <laughs> Are you training to just feel good or do you want to look good as well? Like Both. Yeah? But the Looking good is the accidental right. side benefit. It's not always the case. If you look at someone like Wim Hof, uh, who dips in ice baths, he's probably one of the, will live to about a thousand. I mean, he looks like Santa. But if you, take his, if you take his bloods, he's one of the healthiest men on the planet. So it doesn't always follow. But well, that's you, the bit that I'm trying to get to now where I'm, I'm thinking more about mobility, like being able to move, like not just about having sit, like a six pack. And Exactly. 25 is when most people report all of a sudden their body changed. It's a lot younger than you think. You speak to 27-year-old men, definitely 27-year-old women, they've stopped eating quavers for breakfast because they've noticed they're picking up fat. So it starts a lot younger than you think. So start making the change between 25 and 30 slowly. Instead of like having a pizza when you get in, have like a real nice 
risotto that you've pre-made that you can come in off your tits, zap it in the microwave and eat and eat that in front so of will Netflix. You, will you avoid like takeaways then? Yeah. Really? Why do it? Uh, the stuff I cook is more delicious. I'm not avoiding any food groups, remember. I'm not one of these idiots. Oh, I've had, I've had one gram of fat this week. I'm eating, you know, olive oil. I'm having steak. I'm not, I'm not excluding food groups. I'm just not including preservatives, weird things you can't pronounce and all the crap. I don't even have protein bars anymore. Wow. If I need a dose of protein, I'll get pure unflavored whey or pure unflavored collagen and just stick it in with some um, veggies and some honey and, and, make, and some oats and make a smoothie that way. I don't, I don't even have stevia anymore. I don't have any sweeteners, nothing. Amazing. Is it true that you take a load of like tablets every day? Yes. Like, how yeah. many did you take? So just to finish the analogy, what Sorry. I was saying from 25 onwards, certainly by 35, think of it like a pension. If you start paying into a pension at 40, a lot of money, you're going to be 65-year-old with lots of paper. You're going to be the fittest dude in the nursing home. You're going to be covered in that grey geldem, right? So start paying in because if you pay in with diet, and exercise, it pays out into your body when you're in your 60s and 70s. And the difference when you slip when you're eight years old and your hip hits that pavement, the difference between bouncing and breaking is the difference between hanging out with your grandkids or not. If you break your hip and it's younger than you think, over the age of 65, I think, I've, you know, some 65-year-olds that are still fucking going out clubbing. If you break your hip at 65, there's a 30% chance you will be dead within 18 months. Dead. If you've got more muscle and you hit a car accident or you hit the pavement, your risk of break goes down exponentially. The more muscle you've got, the more chance you've got in an accident, the more chance you've got if a virus hits you, the more chance you've got if COVID hits you, the more chance you've got if you're battling cancer. All of those odds go up if you've paid into your health pension through diet, exercise, sleep stress management, and evidence-based supplementation, which is rattling around with loads of pills in you like I do. Wow. So you are that passionate about biohacking. I know you don't like to call it that, but... Yeah, health span. Have you heard of the word health span? No. I'm trying to get into the mainstream. It's my favourite word because people think that I just want to live to 100. I don't give a shit about living to 100. If my clock is 70, that I'm going to go bang, I would like you to meet me and go, oh, I was sat with him the week before. There's nothing wrong with him. The trick is, with health span, is the percentage of years that you're on this planet, you're not frail. So if you live to 100... You want to be 99 and a half, still walking, still hanging out with your families, five months, a bit ill, gone. You don't want to be living to 80 and on an oxygen tank from, for 20 years from 60. Mm. What is the point, mm. right, if you don't have to? Death is inevitable. Aging is inevitable. Frailty is not. Mm. It's not inevitable. Do you think this, where's this age, like, not obsession, but it sounds like you, it's been a, like, age seems to be a theme for you. Like, is, is it something like you don't want to grow up? You've got this Peter no, Pan mentality? the wallet. I'll be, I'll be real with you. It comes straight from my wallet into my abs. The fitter I can stay and the longer I can stay feeling young and full of energy and having the energy of certainly at least 29, 28. I mean, I'm full of energy. I don't nap. I take eight hours sleep and I'm a fucking beast seven days a week. That emotionally blackmails me into staying fit. The thought of losing this high from just feeling good. And what is your main drive? Is because I'm driven a lot by success. Like, is, that's is it. That, is that your main yeah. drive? Yeah. Yeah. Success in in the bedroom, like with my wife. Yeah. And she, my wife's twelve years younger than me. Yeah. So I need to stay her age. In fact, she's getting a little bit insecure now. She's like, "Can you slow it down a bit?" Ah! And she, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> if I'm sing, if single, my pool range now is like 
20 to 60. That's like <laughs> ma maximum pull range. Uh, and I'm joking, I wouldn't Amazing. date a 20. I would not date a 20 year old girl, just for record. <laughs> and uh, it's emotional blackmail from wanting to be, and also I've had my daughter at 40, Lindsay's had that daughter, so I want to meet my grandkids. I want my daughter to not have kids early. So say my daughter has her first baby at 32, 33. I want to be one of those 70 or three-year-olds where you go, he's how old? One of those dudes with silver fox in it hard. Mm. So that's my motivation. And it was Lindsay in the morning, for example, I'll wake up and I'll take like 30 different things with a fat sauce and then I'll take another 30 at bedtime. She was, Lindsay's- Really? Wait a second, is that 60 tablets you're taking a day? Probably, yeah. And then every day, every day. So Lindsay was like, what are the top seven that have got the strongest evidence that are doing the maximum work in you hanging on to this youthful energy and vigor? So, and that's easy. It's NMN, resveratrol, fisetin, skin X, ceramides and curcumin, which is a thing that makes turmeric yellow in Indian food. But the actual, not the shite turmeric you buy off Amazon, the actual 95% proof pure curcumin. She was like, right, we're going to ro roll that into a one once a day for people that would find what you're doing overwhelming and would find it too expensive. And I said, why has no one done that? I used to be a copywriter, as we've just discussed. So I said, like a, I said, right, we're going to call it Jolt and we're going to call it an age blocker. We're going to create the category age blocker, like sunblock, like you block someone on Facebook. We're going to block aging, just like I have. If you do my bloods now, I'm 34 at the moment. I want to get it down one more year, which is what most people guess my age is, around about 33, 34. We're going to be the ultimate age blocker. So we trademarked ultimate age blocker. We trademarked Jolt. We got the best lab tested, meaning our NMN has been tested in a third-party lab that goes, yep, that's the bollocks. That's 100% proof. We've rolled it into one ingredient, which obviously looks a bit yellow because it's got the turmeric in it. You take three pills a day with a fat sauce in the morning. Could be a spoonful of yogurt or your cod liver oil, just so it slows it through the gut and it can get absorbed properly. And we've launched. Well, I want to really just try and just give a full picture of it. Russell, sure. Is that you, you take 30 tablets in the morning, 30 tablets at night, how expensive is that? Like, is it expensive? Yeah, prohibitively. That's why we launched. Jolt. That's what I'm saying. So basically, you've took all the best bits of what you. The seven. The top. The, a lot of the stuff I take, uh, you Google it and you're like, yeah, some tests, some trials have said it does stuff. Others have been inconclusive. So I'm taking a gamble because I'm in a privileged position. The seven that in, are in there, NMN, have blasted every what's called a double blind trial, is when one group of people are given a sugar pill, one's given real resveratrol. No one knows what they're taking. And at the end, you measure the bloods of the two groups. And if your product works, the sugar pill people should have no difference and your group would be higher. What we've also done is put actual jolt into a clinical trial, which is incredibly risky and so expensive. I don't even want to remember the figure. And we've just had the results of that clinical trial and I get the full results in two days. But I've had the teaser from the lab. Every single person who took part in that clinical trial has had some sort of positive anti-aging effect through Ooh. taking job. Once I can get the, that paperwork on Saturday and say to people, this isn't just some like snake oil in celeb vitamin bollocks. A, I've been doing it for 15 years. I'm Botox free, look at me, apart from the one in my scar and a little scar there, just in case anyone's seen me at KP Aesthetics. In <laughs> um, that is, it works, it actually works. It works. And it's not about looking younger. It's about feeling that youthful zest you had in your mid-20s, that energy. 
and it's about health span. We're not trying to make people live longer, although, of course, you will. We're trying to increase the percentage of years that you feel young within the years that you get. It makes sense. It's almost like preventative healthcare because a lot of time we wait for something to go wrong. Mm. with us and then kind of try to deal with it or wait to get to a certain age and then exactly like kind of all, i'll have all these regrets where you're just basically saying to people why don't you yeah. kind of get ahead of the game now correct and start looking after yourself and, now in the present and then the anti-aging um, movement in the uk i was lucky enough to get friendly with a gp a, a bog standard gp nhs gp that you would go and see that is interested in this and he's on our he's a part of our business but he's paid to be difficult he's paid to cut across me and go that's not quite right you've got that wrong you've overstated your claim there that's what I want. I want people to see me being grilled and I want to see to see a proper qualified doctor calling bullshit on the things me and Lindsay are saying because I'm a literature student. Mm. So it needs that medical stamp of approval. Here's a question from a sober guy. If you, You're clearly pretty kind of obsessed with looking after yourself and yeah. like being healthy. So when you do go on a crazy night out and say Ibiza and you're drinking loads and everything else, do you not get anxiety the next day thinking no. I'm going against... So how do you justify no. that in your head? Because it, alcohol is essentially... And this is not me demonising alcohol because yeah. I've not, not, not got a problem with anyone drinking. It's just I couldn't get control of it. Yeah. Right. But it's essentially a poison, It right? is a poison, yeah. So how do you justify that with, with the other stuff that you do? Because life's too short and human beings since the dawn of time have drunk mead in a cave, eaten mushrooms, had orgies, partied, danced to a drum as the sun comes up. That is in our blood, whether you like it or not. We are wild. We are apes. We're one of the great apes. Us orangutans, gorillas, chimps, bonobos. We like shagging. We like dancing. We like socialising. One of the joys of being given a human body is to use it and experience the things it can experience. So there's a difference between drinking when you end up in a cell or you end up injured or you end up with an addiction issue. But if you're healthy and you haven't got those tendencies, and maybe it's genetic alcoholism, who knows? What's wrong with now and again letting off steam? If you're past 30 and you're getting absolutely so you can't walk home every weekend, it's an issue. But if you're going to IB for once a year, you just come back within a few days, you can take care of yourself. There's something you get from partying and doing yourself a bit of damage that's greater than the effect your liver would have got from not drinking. I just yeah. came back. I, honestly, I was Kevin and Perry in between us. I was minding my own business. I be for rocks. They put me behind the VIP rope. I was behind that for about two seconds. I was out, main dance floor, in disguise, yellow aviators, shell necklace, tiny swimming trunks. No one would think it's a 48-year-old man. Sun hat down to here, dancing. And uh, Joel Corey has heard that I'm in. And he's like invited me and my four mates who are 48, like hair, knees, gone, like, all like Ray Winston. He said, come and dance on the stage in the table next to the stage. I mean, it's, it's what you dream of when you're 18 in an Ibiza. <laughs> so we're all up there like, Ey! and everyone's like, oh my God, who are those guys? They must be like record label owners or some really cool dudes. All my mates have got, like, we're all married, so it's, like, it's just a game, you know, all the girls trying to throw their phones and all that. So listen, Russell, it, it sounds like you've been on an incredible journey. Obviously, you're a busy guy now. You've got loads of different projects in the pipeline and you're filming an incredible show for Sky now That's called right. Evil Genius. Yes, but um, they're all available to binge now, wherever you get your Sky content, now TV. Um, I mean, they went out on Sky history, but, but most people, when they watch TV is on demand, they stream it, they don't care which subset it's come from. And Evil Genius, I made for Radio 4 before, which is like the the thinking man's radio station and thinking person, I should say. And uh, it came out right when the Harvey Weinstein thing was happening. I sat down with a Radio 4 producer. They were like, right, well, let's make a show. 
and I, we discussed all these shows. And then as I was packing up, I said, do you know, it's really weird. I put on a movie produced by Harvey Weinstein. If you don't know, he's the film director convicted of molesting and sexually assaulting women and bullying men. And I said, I felt it's weird because it said produced by Harvey Weinstein. And I didn't give a toss. Me and Lindsay both watched it. So I was, I was interested in what someone has to do for us to throw their art in the bin. How bad does it have to be? We've seen it in comedy recently as well. And so but working with dead people, obviously, because there's no legal consequences, me and Radio 4 started to, started to say, right, Albert Einstein, evil or genius? And I'd get three comedians around and they go, well, he's a genius. And I'd go, yeah, but did you know he did this? And they were like, oh, that's disgusting. Did you know he did this? And then at the end, they have to vote, evil or genius, cancel or Ooh, keep. I love that concept. Gandhi, Richard Pryor, Amy Winehouse, so we had a real wide range. And then to, to take it across to TV has been amazing because you can use archive, I can meet with historians. But this area is normally quite dry. It's normally, you know, consumed by men in their 50s. And whereas history, actually, if you take, get someone in their 20s and go, if I told you the dead rapper you're listening to raped 20 women, would you stop listening to him? And, you, and it's so relevant to what this age group's talking about now, about consent and boundaries you think, shit, man, we're playing this cancel game 24-7. Mm. So although it's a bit of an artificial thing to say evil or genius. It's a great concept. I saw it on the it, other day, actually. I it, stopped in my tracks. I was like, this is this is, feels yeah. new. It feels different. Because feels innovative. The criticism people go is like, but surely everyone's a mixture of both. I'm like, but that's not what the world's like. If you don't believe me, do a video today on Twitter and say some things that, that and you'll be cancelled tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, where was your grey area? Right. So I'm mocking it. I'm mocking cancel culture and we're having a big grey area discussion. So the TV series, we've done properly historical subjects, Winston Churchill, Coco Chanel, Richard Nixon, Albert Einstein and Pablo Escobar. Wow. So some of those Pablo Escobar people think he's evil. So I let off what truth bombs that were good. Did you know he did this? Oh, but, he's a, he, but, he's a, but he's a murdering coquette. Yeah, but he did this. Oh, that's confusing. So, and of course, when you get comedians around a table, like I've got Jeff Norcott and Judy Love talking about Winston Churchill is funny as well. And that's not easy to get a show commissioned in this day and age like that. No. Especially for TV, so no. hats off to I you. I do a lot for telly, but it's the first thing I think, if you put it on in 20 years' time, you'd still learn something. Ooh, I like that. And I've got a degree in history, so I'm all about the history. Some, there's some right wrong ones. Wow. So, do, you know what, do you really like about you, Russell? You take all these different kind of um, parts of your life yeah. <laughs> and you make them something. That's right, yeah. So what, what's it like being a dad as well? Like, I, I love it. I'm really good at it, even if I say so myself. <laughs> I just love it because I've got that childlike... Yeah. Quite, I've had to keep the childlike part of myself alive for my job. So I'm very comfortable dressed up and playing games and doing... I can do the voices of the Barbies. I'm not self-conscious with... I think some men and women feel a bit silly, even if it's just them and their five-year-old. I can do like American Ken going, hey, Barbie, what's happening? I just, I love, I just love all of that stuff. I, yeah. I love doing all the Christmas stuff and the elves... I just, I just love it. One thing I've noticed, because you mentioned a bit of a troubled relationship with your dad, though. Is that right? Like, so what I've noticed is, that especially like people who didn't get, I don't know, like I didn't have the perfect childhood. Yeah. They tend to be even better, like fathers yeah. or mums. Or you're either cursed to repeat the mistakes that your dad made. Or, or you learn from them. Or you learn from them and go the opposite. So my house is... My mum and dad were great. Listen, I've got no complaint. I've got no like proper complaints about my childhood. My dad was an amazing dad, bouncer, martial artist, steroid using, bodybuilder. I felt so protected. I had this hyper masculine work till you drop, amazing role model. We were just different people. Yeah, you know, yeah. I like dancing and 
books and not my boy move to Brighton get it over with that's what my dad was like uh, just begging me to bring a bring a bird home but I, I couldn't pull because I liked books and I liked Dungeons and Dragons so women don't want to shag that until, <laughs> until you're 28 and then it's like form a cue touch the end of it <laughs> By the time women have had their heart shut out for the 20th time and they're 30, they want to date a guy who's in touch with himself type thing. So yeah, and I ended up having a row with my dad and moving in with my nan. If I wanted someone to stay, my dad would be, oh, it's too much mess. We need some notice. You know, who's staying? Who are they? My house is always open. Lindsay's mum and dad stay once or twice a week. They live 15 minutes from us. Just stay. Just stay. Mm-hmm. And... We go on lots of holidays. We do lots of impulsive, fun things. I do child-centered things. Mm. Not because I'm making up for something, but I, I want to. I want, like, I want like to. Like I said, it's like you've, you've took lessons from a lot of things. But if you could give one lesson to, say, I don't know, a 21-year-old Russell, like what would be your key lesson? I mean, it's funny you should say that because the other thing I should plug, obviously, is the show, the new tour I'm doing in 2024. It's called Hyperreactive. And um, I've just added a load of dates. But in this new show is a routine about when me and Lindsay, where we booked a hotel room for the night. We, we do this now and again. We just get a date night and uh, we have a couple of sherries. And um, we just talk. And Lindsay did this big speech about, if I could speak to my 18-year-old self, this is what I would say. And this is what I said earlier. I would tell myself, don't give a shit about what men think of you, what other women think of you. Try not to give a toss because that's held held Lindsay back till she's about 30. She didn't even used to take selfies. She Then you'll find nothing on her social media before two years ago of herself. She was that self-conscious and you've seen her. She's fit as fuck. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't even post selfie, can't pout, can't do sexy fake, can't do anything like that. So she'd love... And I, and I was thinking, what would I say to my 18-year-old self? And all I could think of was tips to get laid more often. I know it's terrible, but if you gave me like a 10-minute meeting with my 18-year-old self, I'd be like, touch the top bit till she goes, ooh. And then, <laughs> So I was trying to think of something deeper. And I think what I would say is, do you know what? I would walk in and I would go, don't change a thing, and then disappear. Because... Where I sit with you today in the basement of some amazing jewellers with you giving a shit about what I say with a tour I'm selling, a book I'm selling, a tier, is the sum total of the mistakes, the terrible dif- difficulties in ironing the kinks out in my personality between 20 and 35. And I'd be terrified that if I said to 21-year-old Russell, you got an anger issue there. I used to like smash up laptops and t- rip door handles off. Try and get it sorted sooner. My whole, I might port back to the future and my whole career disappears because we are the sum total of our mistakes and failures. And you have to have the courage to look at those in the eye and rather than go, oh, poor me, you know, uh, my dad was a, a racist and didn't hug me. Or poor me, I used to lose my temper so bad I once stabbed a screwdriver in my own arm and put myself in hospital, which is what that scar is. Rather than do that, I should go, what can I learn from that moment? What's that teaching me? You are not the victim. Nothing's been done to you. You are 100% able to make yourself the recipient of what's happened to you and own it. Mm. So I wouldn't say jack shit. In fact, I'd probably just go in, flex the rig and go, this is how good you're going to look at 48 and then vanish. Ooh, (laughs) mic drop. I love it. Do you know what, Russell? I could sit here and talk to you all day. There's so many golden nuggets and like life lessons in there. And... 
in a weird way, I think there's some kind of similarities and I feel like you are a little bit further along and on your journey that I've taken yeah. a lot from it. Honestly, mate, there are so many different layers to you and that intelligence is one thing that really shines through. Mm. Um, and, and the way that you apply that to all different aspects of your life is just amazing. And, and it's been an honor to have Thanks, a household man. name, Edinburgh Award winner. Yep. In the building. Thanks, and, man. And the Melbourne, Melbourne Award yep, as well. Yep, yep. Um, so it's been an absolute privilege. And if you, you've not yet checked out Jolt, it's at Jolt My World is all our socials. Please come and see the new tour, this hyper-reactive tour. There's a 15-minute routine of what happened in Ibiza with Lindsay this year. Some dude threw a Gucci flip-flop on my head and it kicked off. And when a Northern Bird kicks off, it's always good stand-up. Do you I get just, VIP tickets for that? Definitely. VIP tickets. Come, to, come, to, come to the Lowry. For the, for the crew as well. Yeah. Or Stockport Plaza. Amazing. So that'll be, that'll be, in, um, that'll be like later in the year. Or if you really want to laugh, come to Blackburn. Amazing. They're mental. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Russell Kane. That was probably one of the funniest episodes I've ever recorded of Learn As I Go. I don't think I've ever laughed that much. A very different vibe, but I hope you enjoyed it. And for me, Russell is, he's an inspiration because I feel like he's figured out who he is, he owns it, and he lives the life he wants to live on his own terms. And he's also got a great approach to health and wellness. The fact that he put so much time and effort into looking after himself, but he's also not shy to enjoy himself and have those crazy trips abroad in Ibiza as well. I think he's got a very good balance in life and I look up to him a lot and there's so many life lessons in there and so many laughs as well. So I hope you enjoyed it. I want to hear what your favourite takeaways are from this episode with Russell. Please tag me on Instagram, scott.thomas. Tag me in all your stories and I will reshare them and come back to you. But keep supporting and I will see you next week for another episode of Learning As I Go.